from the John Chicker Ferguson Arrivals Hall at Wigan Airport. It's the Rugby League Cemetery. This is the Rugby League Cemetery, and very good to have you with us for the eighth episode. Okay, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. We're going to Wembley, and it is the 1985 Challenge Cup final we're covering today. It's the first match that we've covered from outside Australia, uh, but in many ways, it's it's one of the great games of all time, and it's one of the more remembered games of all time. Wigan 28, Hull 24, in front of 99,801 at Wembley Stadium on the 4th of May, 1985. Uh, a game remembered probably by Australians mostly as the, the great matchup between the Parramatta halves, Brett Kenny and Peter Sterling. But there's plenty more about this game to remember it by Gazzy. Uh, you, like me, were watching this in full for the first time. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you didn't even know the result going into the watching of the game. Uh, impressions? Yep, that's right. Didn't know. Uh, I had to do, enforce a media blackout all week to not find the score out, especially once you posted a bit about the game on the page. So I've, I've uh, made sure I didn't know what happened and I'm still not sure what happened having just watched it. Uh, that is... Uh, I, don't, I don't know where to, where to go from. It's barely recognisable as rugby league, as, I, as I'm aware of it. Yeah, And it's just... Yeah, that whole thing was just totally foreign to me. Wonderfully enjoyable, but... Uh, foreign as anything uh, I don't watch a lot of, a lot of English football so I can't tell you how different it is to today's English football or whether there's a bit of an English tradition there or whether that you know or whether it's changed over time as well but I can tell you it's nothing like any Australian football I've ever seen it's just it's, it's crazed isn't it from the kickoff it is just there is this manic energy about the game that it never goes away there's always incident and drama all the way through there's no there's no settle down. There's no quiet period, lull, nothing. It's just chaos from the start all the way through. That's it. It's got no rhythm. It's got no sort of flow. It just, stuff just keeps happening at random out of nowhere with no real sign that it's about to happen or, or it's about to change. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really quite stunning. It's very stunning how, you know, we watched the 89 grand final not long ago in Australia. It's quite stunning what a different style of game this was, how in a different country you can have people play the same sport so differently. Yeah, it really is. It's barely recognizable even to the 89 sort of style of game, to be honest with you. That's it, isn't it? Like we've watched a lot of, we've, we've done seven famous Australian matches um, and none of them look like this. And from all across different eras, different styles of team, all of this, none of them look, None of them look like this at all. Um, yeah, you're right there. I thought I'd give a bit of context around the game. Uh, Wigan had... It's hard to imagine watching this game. Wigan had been relegated in 1980 um, from the first division of English Rugby League and had bounced back the following year. But they hadn't won anything uh, since the 60s. They'd last won the league in 1959-60. They'd last won the Challenge Cup in 1964-65. So the major tournaments had, had evaded them for 20 years. Um, but a, 
but in the early 80s, a couple of things had changed for them. One of them was that they'd gone professional. They'd gone fully professional. They were one of the first English clubs to do that. And that started to, the advantage of that started to show very quickly. Um, as for Hull, they were on, they were on a roll. They'd, they'd been relegated as well in 78, 79, uh, in 78, I think. Came back into the first division, winning every game in 1978-9 in the Division 2. And then got on a series of matches. They'd lost the Challenge Cup final in 80. Uh, they'd, but they'd won the Challenge Cup in a replay in 82. They won the league in 83. They were on a roll. This was their, this was their moment. Um, so coming into the match, that gives you a bit of context around the, the matchup. They'd also lost the league title to Hull KR by a point in 1984. Uh, Gaz, this game is inescapable. From We talk about differences between English League and, and Australian League. Some of those have gone away a little bit now, but the format of the competitions, you've got the, the league championship, which is 30 games first past the post. There's no finals. There's no semifinals. It's just whoever's on top of the table at the end wins the league. Then you've got the challenge cup, which is a knockout competition. And then you've got these other competitions. You've got a league cup. You've got a premiership, which they is like a eight team comp, knockout competition at the end of the season to keep interest. It's like the, the, there's so many moving parts to the season and they play so many games. Yeah, they, they do. Uh, even some of that hasn't changed that much when you look at the numbers that some of the English guys actually put up in games played. Like Even guys like James Graham, by the time he came out, he had so many games. He's yeah. played 300 sort of whatever games. And, but he played so many by the time he was at like, you know, his early twenties and, and you know, even, even at Bateman and stuff. Now, when you look at him, they play 28, 30 games every year of club football. It's, and we're not talking origins tests and all that added in. They're playing 30 games all the time, even sort of now. And, and it's fun. It's just difficult to imagine here because it's, it's the sense every year of players being completely buggered after an NRL season or, oh, you know, that they, they can't even go away and do the tour or they're too busted to get right for next year and they're wearing out. And it just doesn't seem to ever really be a concern in England, does it, for whatever reason? No, well, I think Gareth Ellis might have... I think he hit 450 first top-level games across England and Australia in the second row playing the way he did. It's unbelievable. Like, that. that's... Um, if someone... Yeah, I mean, I know Cameron Smith just brought up 400... Um, but he is an outlier in Australian history as far as his kind of durability and the length of his career. And yeah, he's never the, been tackled either. No, well, that, yeah, he doesn't it doesn't bludgeon, yeah. bludgeon himself like Gareth Ellis did. Yeah, it, it is. It's incredible. Um, a bit of context around the the Australians in the game, uh, the imports. Brett Kenny have played nineteen games for Wigan in in nineteen eighty four five. Keeping in mind, of course, they play. Listeners might not be aware they play the. That in that era, they played the English winter. So the season didn't sync up with the Australian season uh, and the end of the season was in May. Um, so Brett Kenny had left after the uh, after 1984's New South Wales season, after the trialist grand final, I think, in 1984, gone over to England and played 19 games for Wigan and scored 19 tries. Um, and he, he was missing for Parramatta for the start of their season. And so was Sterler. He'd played for Hull. Uh, in 83-84 and then went back for a second go in 84-85. He played 36 games for them across two seasons and again, missed the start of the New South Wales League season. John Ferguson took a different approach though. He was playing for Easts. He played, he went over to England, played the first bit of the season, but when the Australian season started, he went back to Easts, played from March to May for Eastern Suburbs and then flew over to England just for this game 
just for the Challenge Cup final in the week of the match. Um, incredible. And then, I bet they're glad he did. <laughs> just, just a little bit. Yeah. And, and the other Australian in the game who's kind of forgotten is John Muggleton, who we might talk about in a bit, had a very good game. But this, he played for Hull in 84-85 and scored 16 tries and then went and played for them again the following year in 85-86. Um, it's, it's a bit of a function of the... Um, it's, it's money as much as anything else, right? Like these guys, they weren't earning the way that they do now. You would never see an Australian player do this in this era. Um, but I guess at the time, they had to just... They had to play as much as they could and make as much as they could because it had a bit of a shelf life and the pay wasn't anywhere near what it is now. Yeah, definitely. There's probably a couple of things to it. Yeah, look, it it was a bit more amateur, obviously. So without the money, like you say, you need to go pocket some over there. Secondly, I think across both competitions, I... I don't think it was as hard on your body as it is now purely because um, the more professional it is, the more it sinks all the teams up to a certain standard. And I think both in England and Australia, there was probably a lot of soft games. You probably got a lot of games that there wasn't, you know, 12 good teams and you were getting whacked every week. You probably got away a little bit with playing a bit soft here and there or going off or you got a couple of easy wins and you had to fire up for your, you know, when you if you're Parramatta, you probably had to fire up for the Bulldogs in a couple of games a year. And and same in England, you probably had games like this, but there's probably a lot of games that are winning by 30 points and stuff like that, which makes it a little bit easier as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I was thinking about the workload for some of these guys, like Peter Sterling, for example, played the New South Wales season in 83. Then he goes to England and plays 83, 84 there. Then he comes back and plays the New South Wales, like the, the, the Sydney competition again. Then he goes back to England. And then by the time he joins up with Parramatta in May 1985, after this game, he's pretty much been playing football every weekend for two years, straight, without a break. Yeah, that's right. It's... um. It's unrecognisable to now, again, as you say. And the thing with Sturlow, it's funny. He was, uh, one of the things I've read is at the time he was really bullish on this stuff, saying, I want to play football, I'm fine, I can get through stuff. And this is all sort of nonsense, this management and resting yeah. players. Um, why would I want to do that? I love playing football. But uh, he died pretty badly at the end of his career. He had a lot of problems late on and, and fell off the cliff with his body. Um, and his game followed his body a little bit at the end of his career when he he just wasn't quite there anymore and you wonder yeah. how much doing <laughs> this the fact that he's had three years in a row yeah yeah <laughs> might have hurt, the fact that yeah. he had two careers going at the same time for a bit of his career in, in his in his prime yeah can um, i ask you can i yes. ask you how keen do you think Parramatta were on this <laughs> imagine seriously can you imagine oh. like say at the Knights, uh, using them because they're our team, if the Johns brothers had just pissed off till round 10 or something, are you yeah. feeling about that? And one of them will be there in round 10. Yeah. And one of the ba- and Ben Kennedy, like the, you know. And Ben Kennedy, yeah. Like, yeah, Muggleton, yeah. yeah. It's unbelievable. I mm. Imagine the meeting. Stella says, yeah, look, boys, I, I'll, I'll be back in May. <laughs> I'll see you later. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it is. It's stunning. I, as the, especially, it's not as if they were a, an also ranked club either. Like this was their prime. This was their opportunity to, they, they were winning premierships for the first time in their history. They're one of the great sides of, in the history of football. Um, they had every right to think that every year they could win the grand final. And they kind of have this mortgaged by their two best players going and playing overseas and not coming back until the middle of the year. 
Yeah, look, again, that probably comes back a little bit to what you said before, where I wonder if they sort of had to accept this because they weren't paying them much money. Um, yeah. I'm sure they were getting paid, but they, they wouldn't have been paid a lot of money. And both of them, I imagine at that time in the game, probably could have got offers to go to clubs like East and Manly and stuff like that. I know Sterlo did get some offers from Manly during his career. And I wonder if it was Paris' way of going, right, oh, well, these guys haven't walked over to play for Manly or haven't walked out there. But part of that is if we want them, we need to give them opportunities to make money we can't give them or the money we can't match. And that might have been their way of doing that. Um, There's a bit of a compromise. Yeah. 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 It just might've been the price they had to pay. Um, Yeah. It didn't cost East too much. Here's something for you. Chica Ferguson plays the full 84 season, goes and plays for Wigan, scores 24 tries for Wigan, comes back and plays for East in the middle of the season, takes a trip over to the UK to play the challenge cup final comes back. So he's been playing football for 18 months nonstop. He won Dalian Winger of the Year in 1985. Yeah, well, I can see why. I haven't watched him play. He's a, he's a medical marvel. <laughs> Keeping in mind he's about 30 at this point. He's got about sort of five, six years of his career to go. He's just like, yeah, yeah unbelievable. He's an incredible player. Yeah, you can see, like, there are a couple of moments early on where you, you just see exactly what people still talk about him. You know, he's one of those players that when you talk about football from the 80s, people of our father's age w- kind of want to talk about straight away. And you yeah. can see he's so electrifying. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Really is. Um, just to talking about people who are electrifying, I, I, just a quick stat for you about the 84, 85 season in England. Uh, Ellery Hanley played for Bradford Northern, played 37 games in 84, 85 and scored 55 tries. It's good that he managed that and they didn't, you know, sort of make this game or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, or we'll do anything. <laughs> going, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're going at sort of nearly two tries in, in, as a, at a game clip yeah. at the start, isn't it? You're sort of scoring 12 points before you blink. Um, yeah. It's not bad. Yeah. Wasn't playing on the wing. I can either. see why. Having watched the standard of this game um, yeah. and some of the, the base elements of, <laughs> of <laughs> things like tackling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't stun me that he did that. That he was fairly useful. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably right. Uh, should we is, should we get into the game? I, the, I think so. I think so. The, the, the thing that jumps out to me straight away is just the roar as they come out onto the field of a hundred thousand people in the old Wembley, just bellowing. I don't know about you, but Australian crowds. There is a noise that English crowds make that Australian crowds have never made. This guttural bellow mm. from the bottom of the guts. Yep. That it is. Uh, I went to the the Ashes, the cricket, um, a few years ago, twenty thirteen, the, the Agar game, and that's the one game of sport I've been to in that country. And, and like, the, it's, you're right, the noise they sort of make. There was a game. Oh, sorry, during that Test match, um, Jimmy Anderson took a couple of wickets in an over, and the whole crowd, like all of a sudden, this whole crowd just the the sound it was making and the stadium shaking, and you're looking around, and the whole life sucked out of you. It was going for the other team, you know, yeah. like. You just feel defeated, and then suddenly the you know then the, the sort of song comes into it. And they're not even when they're singing; it just just got that nice sort of melody and stuff in the yeah. way they chant and roar. And it's um yeah, it's unique and it, it's very different. Um, I've got to say, watching the game, I had a real feeling. Um, you know, at the risk of getting sort of hate mail, like I don't know how good it would be to watch that game at the stadium. Like, not 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 that 
game, just a game, I get this real feeling, and we get it a bit here, you get people really build the myth arcs of this stadium. Like in, in Australia, be like, oh, wouldn't it be great to go to the MCG? And mm. it's too big. And you know we're near anything. It's actually yeah. not a good place to watch. And watching the game, geez, the crowd was a long way back. And yeah. I bet they're all there going, oh, I was at Wembley and it was great. And I'm sure it was. But you wouldn't see much, would you? That's no, income. That was no, so I, far back. Yeah, well, you, you, know? got the, you got the running track yeah. around, the, around the stadium yeah. at that point, uh, yeah. around the field. Yeah, it's, um, you're right. I mean, probably when you crushed it's in there with 100,000 people, the view yeah. would have been fairly yeah. ordinary. Yeah, you would have got probably Imagine the atmosphere. Better view at home. Phenomenal. But <laughs> so it is a bit, yeah. of, it's a bit of a trade-off for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, but you get that with the MCG, you know what I mean? You go there and you're so far away from everything and everyone goes, oh, wasn't that great? And you go, it's not actually a great ground to watch at. Good, yeah. good experience, I suppose, but yeah. Um, a couple of things on the teams. I, I assume you had a look at the team list. I might just run run through the list if you'll indulge me. Uh, Wigan, uh, Sean Edwards at fullback, John Ferguson, David Stevenson, Steve Donlan, Henderson Gill across the back line, Brett Kenny and Mike Ford in the halves, Neil Courtney, Nick, Nicky Kiss, Brian Case, front row. And then Graham West, Brian Dunn, and Ian Potter. Uh, and for Hull, Gary Kemble, Kevin James, Steve Evans, James Luluai, Dane O'Hara, Fred Arcui, uh, Peter Sterling, halfback, Lee Crooks, captain and prop. Captain at the age of 21. Thanks very much. You know, Wembley final, Unusual. can you imagine? Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, a team with Peter Sterling in it too. Like, yeah, that's right. They did have options. Yeah. Um, Puckering, Muggleton, Rose, and Steve Norton at lock. Uh, and the big controversial... Uh, selection decision before the game, Gary Schofield, who had already played for Great Britain at this point, he was already a test representative uh, and went on to play for Great Britain 46 times and was so good that the West Tigers named him in their Hall of Fame for his three years with Balmain, left on the bench. Hmm. It's hard without knowing much about the replacements to comment on it, but it seems unusual, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he was only only young, but... um, they seem to have gone for, for size out in the back line for Wigan. They, they bring in James Lulawai, who'd been injured and was a big unit. Um, and there are pluses and minuses to that. The commentators certainly hop into the New Zealand contingent a few times during the game. <laughs> and quite a few Kiwis in the, in the Hull side in particular. Um, the, the, early, the early exchanges of the, of the game are just frenzied, aren't they? The way they belt into each other. Mm, they are. It's a very unusual game because the team that goes on to win the game barely has the ball. For the There's a point where they don't touch it for about seven sets. It's really weird. It, it sort of settles in for a few minutes. But after that, they just hull have the ball like for so long. It's, it's, but without really looking like scoring, you know what I mean? Like they've got the yeah. ball in the midfield a lot and sort of just in the attacking half, but not at the try line. It's this weird sort of rhythm of the game of just ending and played in that 20 metres for ages that just without ever getting out of it, like they kick 10 metres past it and then Hull bring it back into that zone, but don't advance to the try line. That really sits in this sort of spot for a while. It's it's very unusual. Yeah. And for the first probably 15 minutes of the game, Hull are completely stuck. Uh, Sorry, Hull are completely dominant. They've got all the ball. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't even think Brett Kenny touches the ball. Um, I, I can't no. remember him getting it in the first 15 minutes. Um, no. and it, it just looks like Hull. But there's, the commentators point out, so Wigan had lost the Challenge Cup final the year before, and the commentators say, oh, well, there's just a, there's a hint they might be freezing up here like they did last year. It's like, oh, like if you're a Wigan fan, the real sense of dread, like, oh, not this again. Hull are going to, we're going to get monstered. Um, mm. Yeah, they, they get a penalty in front early on. And uh, Lee Crooks 
the captain and prop forward steps up to take the goal. Uh, I don't know about you, but prop, prop forwards kicking for goal make my heart sore. Oh, yeah, any forward kicking for goal. Forwards kicking for goal are the best thing that can happen in the game of rugby league. It should be mandatory. That's how they should even it all out. You should Absolutely. have when your forwards kick goals. It's like, you know, you get away from these halligan situations. Then when you get these dickheads who don't do anything else, really making their career off kicking, you should make big blokes kick. You get big blokes to get in there and have to toe-poke the ball. It's what, you, what we live for. Who's your favourite, can I ask? Goal kicking forward. Yeah. Uh, Adam Turl used to play front row for Cessnock. That's an interesting one. Sink because I was going to sink him from anywhere. <laughs> it was incredible. I was going to name the Cessnock front rower as well. Were you just? I gonna, yeah, I was going to name Henry Tartner. Oh, very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fitzgibbon was Craig Fitzgibbon was very good. He was probably the actual best yeah. one I'd say that I can think of. He was good. Yeah. Parker was pretty good too. Yeah, pa- Parker. Yeah, There's a bit many around that time. I had to, after Mick Crocker kicked for a while, like not greatly though. Like he yeah, when he was still playing when he was yeah playing all sorts of weird positions. But there hasn't been a lot lately, has there? Uh, Is there David, anyone kicking at the moment? David Ferner was another one from the kind of late nineties. David Ferner. Uh, yeah. Is there one? You put me on the spot there. Is there a forward goal kicking in the NRL now? Uh, I don't know. No, I can't think that there. I mean, Mitchell, not, not Mitchell Barnett off, does it a bit, um, but no, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Yeah. yeah. It's a shame. It is yeah. a shame. Got to rectify that. There's certainly not a front rower doing it, which is a nah. greater shame. Probably a long time since a front rower's done it. I reckon. Yeah. Regularly. Yeah. Tim um, Brown kicked one. Did from he? From the sideline one game. Yeah. Like as a joke or as a fair dinkum kicker? No, it wasn't a joke. The game was live. I think the kicker, the kicker had gone off. Or no, it was in that weird phase where they were kicking um, Carrot Holland for no reason because he stinks <laughs> at goal kicking. Speaking of Cessna, we're getting a lot of Cessna going. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's unusual for this. Well, game. I was going to toss out Billy Peden used to kick goals when. Yeah, he did. Yeah, but uh, yeah, they were kicking Holland, and I think he got the shaft mid-game or pre-game for being terrible. And they, uh, yeah, Tim Brown, <laughs> Tim Brown nailed one from the sideline and put his hand up for the job. Didn't keep it. Yeah, that's a shame. Uh, the, the the Lee Crooks goal kicking becomes increasingly relevant as the game goes on, um, but he does kick the first one to go two 0 up. Um, but Hull are all over them. They're just a lot of half breaks. There's a lot of the crowd, everybody sitting up, and then oh, not quite. You know, there's this kind of the big roar starts and then has to stop because they nearly get through. Uh, and then finally, they do get through in the eleventh minute uh, through the the Welsh winger Kevin James from uh, Aberavon. Uh, this is a lovely bit of play from Sturlow uh, and others. Uh, wide pass to Sturlow, who does a bit of a wrap around with five eight. Akui shrugs one off, gives it to Muggleton, Muggleton to Kemble, Kemble inside to James, and gets over the line. It's very, it's very nice, pleasing, improvised football, isn't it? Lovely try, lovely try. Uh, really nice football from Sturlow. Sturlow, uh, when they're dominant in those 15 minutes, is really, really good to watch. He's a really good player. Um, he runs the ball a lot himself. Um, he keeps going. I think what he liked to do by the look of it is if there wasn't much doing, he'd sort of set up and then give a nice long ball and let the back stride on. And if he and then his little change-up that he did a lot there was he looked like he was going to set up the big back line play and then he'd jink back and pass the ball back into that sort of ruck area, get it, and then boom, back into that sort of yeah. um, area around the ruck, which is a, I've always really liked in halfbacks. Um, it was something that maybe Joey's had done really late in his career, but not really before that. And it seems to be a real experienced halfback thing. You don't see a lot of young guys do it, but yeah. really clever guys going like they're looking like we're going to go 
run the play you think we're doing and then just pop back and just give it to someone running back towards the ruck and see if you catch guys napping. And Sturlow just did it over and over where he'd go, look long, look long, back on the inside, back on the inside, then the long ball. And he really keeps you guessing which is what he's going to do. And, and if you sort of slack off, he was picking you off. And, and that's what he did there. He just, yeah, it really, I was really impressed. I'm waxing a bit lyrical because of my age. So I'm born in 89. I haven't seen Sturlow play. Um, yeah, no, neither. No, I wanted to. Yeah, and, and it was I, I thought it was really super impressive. Really in, enjoyed that. He just, and he, big part in that try. He just controls everything. When they're, when they're dominant in the game, he's just pulling every string, throwing short ball, long ball, inside ball. It's all everything that good that happens comes off him. He very nearly sets up a try the play before they do yeah. eventually score by turning it. He's, he's almost behind the ruck. And he pops mm. up and then turns the ball back inside to, to Crooks, who's like stopped dead a yard out inexplicably. Um, a lot of the um, the American sports use like this word like usage rate. It's one of the metrics they use in all those sports, like mm. usage rate, how many times you're the, the guy with the ball that, that then dishes it off and does stuff. They use a lot in the basketball and different things like that. Can I say, if you wouldn't usage rate on Peter Sterling and this game for them is pretty fucking high. Yeah. <laughs> he's getting through everything is off him, period. Yeah. 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 He's, Good, he's, bad and indifferent, it's off Sterling. <laughs> Completely, yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Uh, Crooks misses the goal, uh, which you know we'll 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 get to uh, a bit more on, but uh, misses the first goal from you know difficult-ish position, but not unkickable, uh, and it's six nil, six nil a hull, and Wigan haven't even got into the whole half by this point. Fifteen minutes into the game, I think they finally get a penalty after 15 minutes to finally get to about the 30 and that's as far up the field as they've been, you know, uh, because they're completely stuck. Uh, but eventually the first chance that they get, um, they swing the ball from halfway and hit Chica Ferguson who just burns down the touchline. Oh. The, the pace off a standing oh, start God. that he shows is terrifying. The half look at the line. Um, burns down the touchline, gets grasped by Campbell, the fullback. But this gives us an opportunity to talk about one of my favourite things in this game, the scrums. Gazzy, um, what, 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 uh, what are those things? What, what is happening know. out there? I don't know, but it's not appealing. It's weird. It's messy. Why do they throw the ball in to feed it from so far back? Yeah. It's like playing 10-pin bowling. Like, well, so, probably because you're about to get cleaned away. up. Yeah, like, I suppose Probably so. because the scrum's wheeling at you and there's all these legs and bodies in it. It's like... Yeah. Oh, it's foul. I really urge anyone who hasn't watched this game to just watch enough of it to see a couple of scrums, at the very least, because the way that they, they plough into each other and then it's just a complete... It's unrecognisable to any scrum today. It's just six on six wrestling. And eventually you end up with sort of eight players on the ground with their legs sticking up and maybe two of them with their heads stuck on the ground. And then the halfback will throw the ball in and it'll just bounce off one of the, you know, 24 limbs or 48 limbs in that mess and bounce out somewhere. It's a complete lottery. I counted yeah. five that went against, uh, sorry, seven that went against the head. Mm. I was about to say, there's probably two stats that, or two things, two points, sorry, that I'd like to make is that one, if you don't understand quite what we're on about or why this is important, the scrums were won by Hull 9-6. On, um, even, so 9-5, I think. But even yeah. the language of 
winning the scrums shows you the point is that like this was a genuine thing in the game that they were winning the scrums. So the ball goes out or you knock it on, you don't give the ball over, you got a chance to get it back. And they got it back double the amount of times that the other team did. Um, so that sort of tells you. And just secondly, look, any dinosaurs out there that listen to this and want to tell me that they should bring back scrums, go and watch that and pull your head in. It's just garbage. Like, I've, I've not watched in the era of contested scrums. There's nothing good about this at all. Like, it's just like, like you're describing. It's just this weird wrestle hurling the ball at it and it bounces off someone's leg. I don't even know why they say hole won the scrum. It's like you rolled the ball in and it bounced off someone's leg and bounced out. And you take your chances that it bounces towards you. You know, like it was yeah. just, there's no skill in it. It wasn't, I got no time for rugby union or a rugby union scrum, but like there is an element of skill in winning that scrum. This was just bizarre. Oh, <laughs> we're going to get, yeah, we're going to get, oh. we're going to get, uh, we're going to get league fans above the age of 40 riding in. Yeah. Well, uh, just riding into the Facebook page. It's yeah. awful. It's terrible. It's, it's very well, funny. Did you like it? Did you like I, it? The scrum? I, like, I would enjoyed, you like them to go do that? I enjoyed <laughs> the, I enjoyed the novelty of it. Yeah. Would, would I be happy for my team's fortunes to be decided on the basis of those scrums? No. Um, yeah. Totally. You're, you're absolutely right. It, it changes the dynamic of the game, right? Because suddenly a kick for touch, for example, is not a meek turnover of possession. It's advancing the ball up the field with a sort of battler's chance of getting it back. Um, you know, well, that's like, a good point. That's you, a good you put point. It out, you put it out 10 out. You know, it's not that's where they start their set. It's that's where you've got a chance to end up with the ball. And that's what happens. Chica Ferguson runs down the touchline, gets grasped by Kemble, uh, and the ball goes into the scrum and comes out on the Wigan side. So they get, so they notionally make a mistake getting pushed into touch and end up with the ball 10 out. And uh, a, couple of, a couple of plays later, Kenny throws a step on, gets tackled 10 out, gives it to Potter, the lock. He throws it out to Chica with nothing on. He's kind of just one-on-one with the fullback. and just stands him up. He just, it's O'Hara, the whole winger. He just, it's the classic in and away. That Shake and bake, baby. Oh, yeah. So good. Oh, he, st- he, st- he just, uh, if, some, if people haven't seen it, he's not running at pace. He's pra- practically standing still and has his opponent standing still and just bang, bang, shimmy, go yeah. around him and off at like, in that second that from a standing start looking square on at each other, all of a sudden he's gone and moving at pace. Yeah. And I didn't think much could be much better than the movie already made for the break. We just spoke about where he burnt them down the wing and then like burnt the cover with a big shake and bake and the fullback gets him. And all of a sudden this was even better. It's just, Oh yeah. Hey, uh, we, we spoke in 89, like, and did a, I did a comparison of saying that there was a bit of Blacklock and Amos Roberts and those guys in him. He was better than that because of the footwork. Like, I've yeah. revised that comparison. You know, I've got him as, like, a mix between your Nathan Blacklock, like, speed sky um, and, and sort of try-scoring stuff with, like, some Achille sort of stuff in there. You know, the feet, like Achille yeah. Uarte or even Mark Gasnier. Like Mark Gasnier, yeah. That, just yeah. those guys with footwork. And then, but he... What they didn't have, like that, but that, that you can't you can't really put your finger on what your black lock types have, but that weird sense of where to be and the way to yeah. just score, he had all that, and then he had yeah that Gaznier and Yuade, those guys that just could beat you with their feet instantly. It was so good. I don't know that I've seen many wingers no. do what he did on those two plays ever. Not, no. not I, I don't think I could name you someone because they don't put there's no those tries. They don't put him in space. Like they don't put him in a no. gap. They don't. He he doesn't have an overlap. There's nothing. 
he's just one-on-one with someone and just leaves that poor old, poor old O'Hara, the, the New Zealand winger, is just standing there. He just like let in his boots. He can't, he can't lay a glove on him. He's gone. It's, um, it's very rare for people that fast to also have that, that footwork. Like mm. you get guys like Val Holmes who move like the wind and have that poison stuff. But it's very rare that you've got that, that, those feet it's like michael jennings feet's another example too like that footwork and yeah i just can't talk highly enough like the, the combination of having the pace and poise he had with having those that footwork is really rare and oh he is he's a beauty we've got to find some more of him because absolutely he's just wonderful yeah he also um he, that that moment i think is best summed up by the the commentator um uh, ray french who says he can step on a threepenny bit this lad <laughs> commentators <laughs> we're gonna to get to them at some point absolutely. i've got some thoughts well, hit me but, uh yeah they there's um i, I this this was really strange i had to ask you um what was going on with them constantly bringing up the fact of the ground like why were they bringing up constantly that if you're hurt you can't get away with it on this ground. They just kept saying, like maybe eight times, oh, they threw the sideline on it, and he went, "Oh, you can't play if you're playing with this ground injured. It's gonna find you out." Just over and over and over. What's, what's think, the deal? I think I can answer that actually. Wembley is notoriously massive. The the, yeah. the actual pitch is notoriously big, and I think the suggestion yeah. was that you know they would have played it a lot of during the season. You would play a lot of small, quite compact grounds, much in the manner of say Olymp- the old but, Olympic Park. Hang on, so it's wide. Like they, they measure the actual width wider. Yeah, I think, but it's it's, it's it's bigger. the 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 pitch is wider. Yeah, it's the same in soccer. It's they talk about this in soccer as well. Right. Um, so it's not a standardised size for every well, game. They play on a different size field well, than they do in the rest of the games. If you think about the difference, so even at the NRL level now, there are parameters that has to be between this and this. But yeah. and like between one hundred and five meters long and one hundred and twelve or something, and between whatever meters wide and whatever. I think the issue is that Wembley is at the full extremity of those parameters. It's, it's, it was a famously, and is now, now that it's been knocked down and rebuilt, a famously big surface. Mm. Um, and the other thing about the turf, they do talk about it a lot. The other thing yeah. is when you think about the, the layout of the English season pre-Super League, they are almost playing a different sport by this time of the year because the, the, the main thrust of the season is over Christmas and over the um, the turn of the year, when one, especially in the north of England, it's bucketing down rain most of the time mm. and the grounds never dry out. So it's just, they would have played a lot of games in mud and you would have had a lot of six, four, eight, two kind of results. Then all of a sudden, a couple of months later, you're playing in beautiful sunshine on the best surface in the country with this enormous pitch. Um, it, it's a totally different sport to what you play most yeah. of the season on. Yeah. Yeah, it's unusual, isn't it? It's um, yeah. Well, all right, that that might go some way to explaining it, I suppose. Um, yeah. Got another one for you. Look, this is a really minor thing. I just thought it was really funny. It's a, mm. Do you think this would ever get said in Australia when they suggest that the back rower is uh, got a really good advantage because he can use his long arms to get the ball away to his colleagues? I just, I just don't <laughs> think in the history of the Australian rugby league, like it's hard to imagine the moose or yeah, or oh, the wording talking yeah. about yeah, yeah, like getting the ball away to his col. Like they use these words, like they're getting away to his colleagues. It's like they're going to a work meeting. It's very, <laughs> it's really, I enjoyed it. It's, you very rarely you'll hear in Australia someone suggest you know that. Paul Gallon's just popped it out to his colleague, like Craig yeah. Bird or something. It's his learned yeah. friend. Yeah, yeah it's, that's, uh, it's that's true. 
I, it was really good. I really liked. I really liked Ray French. I thought he was a very good. I, he didn't. He didn't say too much in the game. He let the game kind of run, and the, and maybe you can do that when the when the crowd is so loud and everything. But I, I thought he was actually quite good. Quite a good call. I enjoy their enthusiasm. I, and I the, always. Yeah. There, well, the few Super League games I've heard that they suffer a little bit from the Kiwi commentary when you get the Warriors games. Like you get this real earnest talking up of the English players a little bit um, now, which like it's hard to cop when we sort of know that it's <laughs> like the best players in the Super League sort of don't you know tend to make it here or, or our yeah. sort of end of career guys go and they the, the, the Kiwi guys do that too with the Warriors, but they didn't do that in this game. But I, regardless of that criticism, the I love the enthusiasm they commentate with. Yeah. And then now there's a real passion yeah. with it. Um, you and I have talked a lot off air about how much we dislike professional commentators, like guys that call games in Australia that don't actually aren't mad league fans. They're professional callers. Yeah, and people with journalism like, degrees who have ended yep, up calling yep. football on the pay TV network yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And that's not what this is. The English guys tend to have a really nice tradition of having guys that tend to be quite passionate about rugby league, which is, I think, in any sport, you're at your best when you get people who really love the game. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I enjoy it. The, the referee, <laughs> the referee, Ronnie, Ronnie Campbell, uh, possibly a relative of mine, he's hoping, uh, he... The, the, the commentator Ray French at one point says it's a great honour for witness. They've produced their fourth Challenge Cup referee. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that. Yeah, quite good. <laughs> hey, you know, um, <laughs> you know another really real ripper they tossed out. Yeah. On that note, uh, three times this got the run. Um, yeah. They they tossed out three times during the game that um, Hull was still stinging from their loss to Wigan in this game in 1957. <laughs> It was just, just busted because I started to count the years back. Yeah. 67, 77, yeah. 87 minus 2. 28 years. Some of these blokes weren't alive. Like, so well, the, captain, what, the captain wasn't alive yeah. when that game was played. The suggestion that they were they're really smarting from this <laughs> loss. It really revved them up. Oh, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's good that. I, it, it's, there is a real, there is a wonderful demented passion to rugby league support in the north of England. It's not the, and just as there is to, to, you know, football support in England and, and, and everything else. Um, the, there's a story about um, when Hull made the Challenge Cup final in 1980 and someone put a sign up on the A63, uh, last person out, leave or turn off the lights, you know, because everyone in Hull had driven down to Wembley to go to the match, you know. I always think it's very funny that the final of the Challenge Cup is at Wembley when all the clubs are based in the north, you know, it's this big trip for everybody to go down. The idea of... I was of, to say that. It, it, yeah. It'd be like us, have, us all travelling to Perth to watch the, you know, it's not as... It's obviously... Or, or like, Melbourne or something. Like, yeah. but Melbourne or Perth. There's somewhere that's just not where we play and not near where we play. Um, mm. And you go over there to play the biggest game sort of away from your supporter base and not playing it in New South Wales or Queensland or something. It's just, yeah, uh, it's very odd, but... I mean, I can see why it was obviously the the atmosphere was. Stunning. Oh yeah, it's it's fantastic. I, I've been to uh, I've been to the new Wembley. I haven't seen a match there, but I've been there, and you, it's got a beautiful feeling around it. It's a wonderful place, wonderful place to go. I'd love mm. to go to a game there, the Challenge Cup final, for example. Um, so that then another oddity that we really need to talk about, and the commentators mention this, and I sort of catch it half, and I think no, that can't be right. I must have misheard, and then I find out later that it's right. Chicken Ferguson scores out on the right wing and Henderson Gill takes the conversion from right out on the touchline. And they say they don't have their regular kicker today. He's going to be kicking from this side. 
And I'm thinking, what? And anyway, and Henderson Gill launches the kick over from the sideline. Beautiful strike, like clean as a whistle. Goes over, seeks all. A few minutes later, um, we learn that, that I did, in fact, hear correctly because the next try, which we'll talk about in a second, it's, uh, it's David Stevenson kicking from the other side of the field. They had different goal kickers for the two sides. That's revolutionary. I've always suggested this, that if you had a good left and right foot kicker, yeah. you should kick to your angles because it is harder um, for the, each side of foot to kick from their wrong side percentage-wise. So it's good to see that someone was doing it. And it's the same that it got, took off in 85 and sort of died. Yeah. This is a model because we know it was they interesting. Were, they both were right-footed, weren't they, actually? Oh, I'm they not sure. They weren't kicking. I'm pretty sure he kicked right-foot. I don't think they kicked with... Um, I might be wrong, but I, I, so it's a bit odd that they would have someone to kick from the hard side for a right footer. It's, yeah. What was, yeah. Did, was there any further talk? I'd, I'd love to hear from someone over there and what the thinking was about that. Just yeah. any old sort of fans from, from them over there that could get in touch. Henderson Gill kicked beautifully. He kicked three from three. Stevenson only kicked one. But, uh, yeah, it's just this funny. This was a cracking goal. Yeah. Oh, a, he hits that beautifully, that first one. Yeah. And then I think we have to talk about probably one of the iconic moments of the match, really. Uh, so that the Ferguson tries after 16 minutes. Then after the 25th minute, um, so Stevenson has missed a kick at goal, a penalty from the other side. Uh, it goes to go 8-6. And then after 25 minutes, one of the most beautiful bits of football I've ever seen. Brett Kenny in full flight is just magnificent. Um, there's a chick of Ferguson takes a dummy half run. And then one of my favourite things about old football, takes the tap and goes again. And we've oh, talked yeah. a bit. We've talked a bit about people in the modern game who might have been quite keen on that rule. Um, t- taps and goes again, and is tackled. They spread it from forty out, but the spread is such that by the time Brett Kenny gets the ball, he's back inside the the wig and half of the field. The halfback forward does a wrap around, throws a long cutout ball to Kenny, and he's back over the halfway line, and he just slices through, and leaves a trail of smoke behind him. The fullback is no chance of getting him. Nobody has any chance of getting him. He just sets sail for the line, and it's 10-6 with a kick to come. He ran circles around the fullback. I can't believe how quickly he left him for dead on a bad angle. like From a mile fullback, out, like from 50 metres away. 50 metres out, and the fullback standing in front of him. It wasn't like he had a cut angle and he burnt him. He was had him front on and ran around him on a narrow side of the field. Just yeah. ran around him, looked at him. Went righto, you run that way, I'll run that way in a loop, and I'll just run around you yeah. and come back around. It's, it was, I, again, haven't seen him play. Uh, God, I enjoyed it. Probably oh. enjoyed that more than anything else in the game was watching Kenny, not just for this moment, but for all of it. He was a superstar. He's a superstar. I'm sure we'll watch, I'm sure we'll watch some Parramatta games um, from their run at some point. Yeah. And I, I'm looking forward to it. You, you can see why so many people of that generation want him in the conversation, um, you know, for immortals and best players ever and that stuff. I mean, I can't, I can't immortalise him off one game in England, but no. um, if, if that's sort of about your watermark, um, you can see why so many older guys who watch and enjoy football speak so highly of him because it, it was, it was unique and just amazing. Like he just, to get off off just that try, he wasn't just fast. He was so good with the ball. He had so much yeah. time. Like he had this old school playmaking. Um, you know, he's nothing like this guy, but he had that Jason Smith slowness when he wanted to pass. Like he got the ball, and he had all the time, time in the world to look yeah. and select and to do that. But then when he wanted to run, he had all that sort of grace and speed 
and he was tough. Like some of these runs where he goes to run, he really throws himself into the contact and ducks his head into it and powers into it. It was like this, it's like this mix of the grace and the, um, and that, but that hardness as well, you know what I mean? That you don't see a lot of guys move with that speed and, and grace, but also go, he bang off his foot, duck his head into the three in the contact and try and burrow through and hard. It's just, yeah. I, I really was just so, so, so impressed. And the way he ran too wide like that on that yeah. play and how he did it in other games, it does not surprise me that him and Peter Sterling won a lot of competitions because we've spoke about the control Sterling was playing with and how he would go, either jink back towards the ruck and set something up or play the sweep. And his problem a little bit in this game, not to get get away from, from Kenny, but the problem a bit for Sturlow was they were a bit outmatched in the back. So Sturlow would run these back plays and no one was really taking advantage yeah, of that. So they didn't have a lot it of had pace. to be Sturlow. No, yeah. no. So it's sort of when Sturlow didn't do it himself, those long sweeps were coming to nothing. But I, I can just imagine at Parramatta when you had Sturlow going, righto, I'm either going to, set this up myself and turn the ball back in or I'm going to go long to Kenny. It, yeah, it's not difficult to see how they were such a good side, yeah. I'll tell you that. Oh, they're beautifully... Two little elements put together. Beautifully yeah. matched, aren't they? It's a, yeah. Perfect, um, perfect match, yeah. Yeah. You, you come away from this wanting to see them play together, like a, a, wanting to see how that does... You see how, both, how good they both are on their own. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, the, That'll the, be on our list pretty quick. I reckon. Parramatta game, yeah. Yeah. The... The commentator says uh, he had his hands in his pockets before the game. He hasn't got them in his hands. He hasn't got his hands in his pockets anymore. Now, there is some footage before the game of Brett Kenny meeting, uh, I think, the, the Earl of Derby <laughs> in the pre-match <laughs> lineup before the national anthem. And, then, and he's got his hands in his pockets and then kind of begrudgingly throws the hand out to shake. And then during the warm-up, he's got the coat on and he's still walking around with his hands in his pockets. And the commentator says... He's got his arms in his pockets. He doesn't look interested. Doesn't look like he wants to play. Which I just... <laughs> it's very English. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And so the... You think Brett Kenny knew who the Earl of Derby was? I don't think so. I no. Do you think he's well-versed in sort of um, aristocratic titles in England? He didn't look... He didn't look overly impressed. Like, he didn't... There wasn't, there wasn't a sense of awe, can I say? Let um, me say, if I could have met Brett Kenny or the Earl of Derby, I'd tell you who'd have been leaving me with a sense of awe. Yeah, you wouldn't have your hands in your pockets to meet Brett Kenny. Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, Stevenson kicks the goal. They go 12-6 in front, and then they start to really take control of the game. Um, but get, Hull do have a little bit of pressure in the second half, and they get to 12-8. They get another penalty through Crooks. But um, just before half time, after a bit of pressure from Hull, they turn it over and Wigan oh, yeah. right on the break. They spread the ball wide. Young Ford, who I thought had quite a good game at 19, I later learned played for the Crushers in 1995. So there's oh, yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More Crusher talk. Yeah, that's it. We'll, we'll get him in somehow. Um, he was kicking really well, controlling the game quite nicely. He gets the ball, long cutout ball to Kenny. Keep in mind, at this point, there's about a minute to half time and they're stuck on their about the 20. Like they can't get anywhere. They're on the quarter line and they just go, oh, we'll spread this. Kenny catches it and throws this beautiful rainbow out to Stevenson. Stevenson finds Gill and Gill says, see us all later and runs 70 metres down the touchline to score one of the great, another great iconic Challenge Cup final try. Pace. 
Oh, yeah. He's fast. Oh, real fast. There's some wingers in this game. That was a beautiful run. A um, couple of things. Uh, first thing I wanted to bring up was hilariously, when they get the ball with not long to go, the commentator goes, he goes, ah, they're just taking it up in the forwards here. They're just taking it up in the forwards. And they take two runs. He goes, yeah, they're just going to take it up in the forwards. They won't be too worried about this or making the ground. <laughs> they're just taking it up in the forwards. And he repeats it about four times. And then, and then Kenny just goes, Wooshka, yeah. 25 metres on your chest have that and they're away um again got a wax lyrical about kenny that was a beautiful pass um i saw him hit guys in you know on angles and in holes earlier we've seen him burn them with this run and then we've seen him throw the big cutout pass to put guys away yeah i've been trying to i'm trying to come up with who he reminds me of because i'm really struggling it's really unique yeah he's Um, listening i can't find much what do you reckon i was gonna say there's a there's a bit of he has a lot of the elements of Darren Lockyer. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you said that. I was yeah. about to... What I finally came up with was... A, a, this would be a player, by the way. I came up with a blend between Darren Lockyer and Joey. Um, yeah, and I meant... <clears throat> well, it's just Darren Lockyer's grace with running and his, yeah. his knowledge of space and the passing and the time. But he was a, then, Lockyer was a great slicer. Yeah, a slicer. That, slicer. That's, that's the word. Change yep. of pace and slice on the edge. Bang. Yep. So I'm thinking yep. Lockyer as a fullback in his, when he was at his best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that stuff, the slicing through. Holmes does it a bit now, the, the way they run, the slicing through and yeah. having that balance and poise. We well, had that, but a bit faster. But then also, like, with the long ball, and also I thought when he'd get it two off the ruck and go himself straight, he had that Joey-like ruggedness. That's yeah. why the reason I've thrown Joey in is that Lockyer had that slicing, but he wasn't – he didn't run into contact much. He wasn't – strong was like that done. yeah no 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 that's not what he tried to do but kenny kept being really rugged and hard and going like when not much was doing he'd burrow his head in and make 10 meters and he will talk about another play in the game in a minute but he'd, he'd bounce off guys hips and get out of tackles yeah and that was a bit like your joey sort of like it, it, it you'd sell him short to compare him to the slices without mentioning that ruggedness that's all yeah. and no that's right yeah he's nothing much like I can't put one player on him. I'm just, I can't stop talking about him. I, I no, I love him. I, 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 he's, yeah. he's just a joy. I, I love watching him. I, I, I've, you know. We've got to find, we've got to find the right Parramatta game to watch, but I'd also like to find, just so I can really get an idea of him, I'd like to find a good origin or maybe not yeah. a test match because Australia didn't really have anyone to play. If we can find a good origin where he goes well as well, I'd like to see him at a few different sorts of levels. Yeah. Um, to have seen him over there, I'd like to see him in a, in a final here and maybe an origin sort of game against those good Queensland sides and just really try and place him because I, I can't talk highly enough. I really no, can't. It's just wonderful to watch. No. Um, as to Henderson Gill, uh, that season, 1985, he then, when this season was over, came out and played for Souths and scored four tries in eight games for the Bunnies in 1985. Yeah, it was his only, only visit to Australia, but yeah, he had a bit of a run with the Bunnies. Well, well that, yeah, that's, um, yeah. He, he was... He was Fast, wasn't he? That pace, it, it, it I don't want to. I probably sold it a little bit because I've talked so much cool. about Kenny, but yeah. there's not a lot of guys who have scored that. Like that's Oof. that pure pace when you've gotten like space to go in and just going dead straight in a fast line and going nah, too much, too much toe, really, right. really quick. We talked about Matt Sears last week and the and the kind of the 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 great theatre of someone very very fast just tearing down the wing. You know, he reminded me a bit of you know the Brett Morris in his prime when he would. He's probably the last bloke to do it in the NRL who would get the ball out wide, 
in front of the grandstand at Jubilee Oval and just disappeared down the touchline at full yeah. ball. Um, yeah, player, Brett Morris. Yeah, Henderson Gill, he, he reminds me a bit of that, that charge down the wing. That he just leaves them for dead. There's nobody gets near him. Um, yeah, yeah one very out of the blue. Really yeah. Out of the blue. Yeah. yeah, it's half a chance gone. See ya, 16 8. Um, the, the, goal is, the goal is missed but, uh, from, from Stevenson out wide. Uh, and they go into halftime 16 8, having really, as you say, not had a lot, a lot of the ball. And this goes, I think, to one of the things that, that Hull struggled with. Wigan had players out there, like their two wingers and their 5'8", who were making things happen from any part of the field. They were attacking from their own half with a view to busting them open and just having the pace to run away. And Hull, even though they had the better of the territory, had the better of the ball, they couldn't leave. They, they, they couldn't strike in the same way. No one could go with Kenny, really, at the end yeah. of the day. And he had the wingers out there as well. But... Um... Kenny was was the difference in that half in this game uh, by, you know, they probably get beat by 16, 20 points without him, to be honest, because when you don't score those tries, you get a bit disheartened and it would have really, like Hull's, you know, the fact that they were able to get on top at various parts of the game, they would have capitalised on that more if the Wigan weren't buoyed on by having these sort of moments that really give you a kick. Doing stuff like this, going into half time with that sort of try or watching Kenny in the middle of the half score what he did, you can't overestimate the psychological like kick and the lift you get of yeah. that sort of stuff. Cause they're just, they're not just tries. They're like, Oh shit. Like, wow. Sort of <laughs> what tries. do you do? You, what do you do about that? Ingling, yeah. Everything mm. goes up. So the, you can't overestimate how important that was for Wigan. I think. Yeah. Um, a lovely banner at halftime. Wigan strike faster than the doll. I'll just leave that there. That um, might have some, yeah, some, we might need some context on that. I don't really know what... Yeah. You, gotta, you do kind of have to put this game in the context of the absolute Thatcherite madness going on in the north of England at the time of this game. Like, this is, mm. this is, your, this is your, the 80s, the time of minor strikes and some fairly abject misery in the north of England um, going yeah. on at the time of this joyous football match. Um, they come out for half-time and you think, oh, well... Did, Wigan are in front. They're looking a bit sharper when they get their chances, but we're very much not over. And then in about the second minute of the second half, Stevenson from centre launches a kick downfield. Poor old Kevin James, the uh, the King of Queens, gets the fumbles. And uh, the other commentator, uh, Alec, uh, Alec Murphy, pulls out, uh, and I think this might be the first recorded instance of this cliche, it looks like he'd want the ground to open up and swallow him. <laughs> Good that, yeah. It was a uh, pretty bad miss. Well, it, it gets a lot, but yeah, it starts to look yeah. fairly ordinary. Uh, Kenny yeah, gets it. Yeah. Kenny gets it from the scrum. Hull, did you get under the Hull defence? It's very disjointed the way they set up. They don't set up in a straight line from the base of the scrum. But uh, Kenny, <laughs> Kenny gets the ball first out, and he does one of my favourite dummies. The it, he, tr- he dummies to forward the halfback who's wrapping around, so he turns himself about. 180 degrees yeah. and dummies it out the back and then props and goes breaks through uh, double pump I love a double pump as well it really speaks to me double pump draw on the fullback and puts uh, young Edwards over for a try behind the post Edwards was only 19 the year before he'd been the youngest man ever to play in a challenge cup final and he scores behind the post and suddenly just like that uh, they've scored two minutes before half time and three minutes after half time, and suddenly it's twenty to eight, and the kick goes over, and it's twenty two eight. That piece of play, uh, wow! The thing is, 
that we've now gone through three Kenny moments and none of them are like the other. He's beaten them in three ways. He scores with his running game, like just slicing through and burning the fullback with pace. Then he throws the cannon long pass. And then this is like dummy, prop, step through the line. Sterlo gets him around the hips. He bumps out of the tackle, bumps and goes, draws the fullback pass. He's just done three really, really class things that are not the same using the same skill. It's not, this isn't the slicing through untouched, you know, speed and stuff. It's not the long ball. It's the dummy prop, like get through the contact power out of it and beat guys. It's, he's doing elite things that are not related to each other. He's showing different elite skills, setting up tries in different ways. And that is a mark of a really, really top player. Like you can't go, watch his running game. You can't go watch his butt. Like he's doing all of it and he's doing them in different ways in different parts of the field and beating you how he wants to. Yeah. Um, it's quite, you know, we didn't get enough of this game to see if he's got a kick on him, but that's the only thing we're missing so far is if, he, if he's got that, then he's got the trifecta because he's just so good. And I don't see how they could have stopped some of this stuff. Um, the defence is a really good point. I, I, I wrote that, but not about Hull. I wrote about both teams. I said, why don't they defend in a straight line is in my yeah. notes. And I don't mean to poke fun at, any, at anyone, but why? Like, I don't know. The, they, they just don't the defend or space. They don't. There's uneven spaces between them. So they get there and there's just a, like, this guy is a metre from the next defender and then there's two next to each other. That's all the time on both, both ends. And they stagger. They don't keep it straight. And then a lot of the time you get guys like they give it to a one out forward to hit up and he looks up and just sees there's no one there and just powers yes. at the hole. And you're like, Oh, it's really exciting. But you go, why, why don't they? Um, yeah. It's not like 1700. Like why couldn't like when they were watching us, why wouldn't they be like, you should evenly stand an even amount apart and in the straight I don't line. Know. <laughs> it is very strange. Yeah. And I, there is, a, and maybe it's a function of just the weather, right? That for a lot of the season, it was very hard to make a clean break and you didn't necessarily have to, um, you, the, the threat of somebody burning you wasn't the same because the, you know, the pitch was like, you know, quicksand and you couldn't get away like that. And maybe the, um, maybe that's a part of it. I don't know, but it, it struck well, me very that, odd. It had hold up better if Ellerie Hanley didn't score 57 tries. Whatever. That's, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. I think if you're playing, if you're playing against um, North Bradford, Bradford North or whatever, you might've wanted to space yourself because yeah. he was doing all right in the mud. But yeah, yeah I take point, him. whether that was just that more dour, um, forwards dominated game and it was a bit slower and you had time to adjust, but it was just really odd to look at yeah. why they were so, you know, I don't know. We talk about marks of good players and you've talked about the, some of the things that Kenny has been able to do. There's a mark of another very good player um, from the kickoff here. Um, we can turn it over two tackles after the kickoff and then Sturlo, keeping in mind that like Hull are punch drunk at this point. They've just let in two tries in five minutes. Um, Sturlo sweeps around the ruck. We see as you as you come later on, you Jonathan Thurston became known for doing this, for counting the numbers and then sweeping around behind the dummy half. Mm. Um, Sturlo's doing it in the eighties. He sweeps around behind the ruck, gets it on the edge, and does quite similar to Kenny. Really, he just runs on an angle and finds himself slicing through the defence um, from about forty out. Gets tackled right on the right in the corner. Hurls it back inside to Evans. Boom, boom, boom. Um, Huller back in the game, 22-12. A mm. couple of things. Uh, firstly, uh, yeah, great from Sturlow. Can't overstate that. And it's a big, 
like he's the big name player and their team is pretty much out of the game at this point. Like yeah. they, they're, they're gone. I, I'm thinking, I don't know the result, keep in mind. And I said, oh, they might, might make a late comeback because otherwise why would this be well remembered? But they're not going to win was my thought. They're, they're gone. Um, and they didn't look like it. And their best player has plucked something out of nowhere himself. No, you know, he wasn't getting a lot of help. And he's just plucked that against the run of play um, without anyone's, giving him anything and just going, I've got to get us back in this game. And he makes the play. Keep in mind, he's not like, he, he gets them into the final by doing this, right? So in the, the semi-final, they're 10-4 behind and he does a chip and chase in the last minutes to level it at 10 all and force a replay. And then they win the replay and get into this game. So he's kind of, he's got a bit of, he's like, he's done this a few times to just get them this far. Um, he's very much not a mercenary. Like he, the fact that he's, was from Parramatta and took a deal to go over to Hull. Like he, you can tell there are a few moments in the game. You can tell that he's, he's just as competitive. He wants to win just as badly as he would if he was playing for Parramatta or anybody else. He, he's, yeah, yeah. He's not, he's not on a, on a holiday. And he drags his side back into the game with this try. Um, yeah. Running, running no, around no, Brett Kenny. Yeah. yeah. No, there's a couple of things. Uh, I just I had this before, but I'll just raise it because you have is replays. I, did I hear correctly that they had two replays in the third round? I'm pretty sure I heard it. Um, unless they meant they had two replays all up and one was in the third round and one was in the semis. But I'm confident that I heard that they had two replays in the third round and then one in the semis. And if that's right, that's mental. I don't see. I can't. I'm just looking at the draw. Hull had a replay in the third round to get past Witness at a six-all okay. draw. And then nineteen twelve yep. in a replay. Uh, the semi-final. Okay, so they so must he might have said two. Yep. two replays two, on their run. Two the replays. Yeah. yeah. Okay, because I just got really taken aback when he said two replays and then said in the third round. And I went, "Hang on, that would be stunning if you had this like third round game. You have to play three times, but it, two replays is still quite a, a stunning sort of. It's really weird, isn't it, to think that in a knockout sort of like comp. You yeah, if it's have, a draw, you go back again, and they would they had re- again. They had replays in the final games. too. So um, yeah. There's a very funny stat that Hull won a Challenge Cup but didn't win at Wembley until 2016 because they, in 1982, I think it is, they won, uh, they drew the final and then they played the replay at Ellen Road up at Leeds and, 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 and <laughs> so won the fun. final in front of 40,000 at Ellen Road. Yeah. Ploughing on, pl- on somewhere else to go watch it again as a fan. It's very funny. Watch the well, same least, game twice. At, le- at least they didn't have to go to. Uh, at least they didn't have to go back to London, I suppose, which is probably why they played it up there. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, no, that, that's uh, sorry to take you on that aside. But so with Sterler, I just wanted to make a quick note with this try. Is that I kept talking about the slicing running of Kenny and the poison the balance. Can I really make the point? Um, much as good as Sterler was, not so much. Like <laughs> with the running, Grace and. <laughs> He's not, he's, he's not fast. He's not, he's not remembered for his pace, I don't think. He, uh, no, no, for a reason. Yeah. yeah. Um, or, yeah, he's sort of this little man waddling through this. Well, place. this is the thing. That my, so my, my father rates Peter Sterling really highly. And one of the reasons he rates him so highly is because he wasn't quick and he was able to be so good with no pace. Like, he, he wasn't particularly physically blessed and yet was able to be this wonderful player. And, yeah, you see a bit. I mean, he, he breaks through and all of that, but he doesn't really burn away from <laughs> In the same no. way that Kenny does. I've heard a few people say that if there was one thing that held him when you compare to the other people at that level, and by that level I mean all-time 
best great. Yeah. against each other. Yeah, when you go look at the top 10 ever to play and they're in this level no one else is in, they say maybe one thing you might say is that he was pretty slow. And yeah. guys like um, Thurston, for example, and Alan Langer was another one, had that nice bit of off-the-mark pace where, you know, they're not going to win a 100-metre sprint, but they had enough to go bang and really Get past burn you enough to get through and, yeah. the line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you think, well, maybe there's a recovery on here after that. There's a terrible kick from Lee Crooks here. Did you get onto the conversion? Yeah, Lee, didn't make Lee, the 10-metre line. Lands on the 10, yeah. Incredible. Mm. Yep. Um, on the other side of the post, too. Like, he kicks it, lands on the 10-metre line. If he's on the right sideline, yep. it hits the 10-metre line on the other side of the goalpost. So he's curled it all the way around <laughs> on the 10-metre line to the, on yeah. the other side of the field. It's like I couldn't hit that that badly. If I was kicking at that level now without having kicked a goal since I went last went to the park at about 17 with the Halligan Super T, yeah. if I went down there now, I would never hit it that badly. You'd never be able to recreate shots it. it. No, yeah. not if I was trying to kick the goal. I wouldn't kick any of them, but none of them would be that bad. It's worth noting that another thing about the Gary Schofield selection is that he was their regular goal kicker. Um, and so, that does add an element, doesn't it? Yeah, like so he not only was he a Great Britain representative and very well rated and went on to have a wonderful career, he, he was their regular kicker. He then can, he subsequently comes on and kicks none from two. So you can't say I was about to mention world. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so maybe maybe they knew something we didn't. But maybe <laughs> like maybe if he had and they, but they were both from out wide. Maybe if he has four shots from out wide instead of two, maybe he jags a couple of them. I don't know. But um yeah, it, it's it's a problem for them as the game goes on. Um last thing about that try. Yes. Okay. They didn't show it at the end, but I'm calling it. What were the rules at this time? Did an eight point try exist? Because there was a clear foul on the try. Oh, score. the bloke comes through and clobbers him, doesn't he? Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, given the eventual score, and I know he misses the goal, but he should have had a goal from the sideline and a goal in front of the post if that was the rule at the time. Because I'm not I'm sure aware of whether it was. I assume it must have been. But, well, yeah. I've got no idea. I don't know when yeah. eight point tries were or were brought in because I mean they don't exist in in rugby, which is where the rule. That's true. Well, that's where the game's rules come from. So it's not a traditional rule. It's been added. I just don't know whether it's a recent addition mm. or an old one. It's a but bit of a it was nasty a really clear afters, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it was a bad foul. He really like he'd scored really clearly, and he really comes down on him late and leaves yeah. him pretty lame, like limping backward, bit, yeah. bit busted in the hips in the back. Yeah. I'm just making the point. Could have been a, you know, given the moment, final yeah. score. Yeah. Yeah. He should have had a try, a goal from the sideline and in front, or at least yeah, yeah. could have made the last goal of the game very critical. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, and but any sense of a recovery kind of gets snuffed out after that. Sterlow on halfway, ten minutes in the second half, fizzes a ball at O'Hara. Um, it's you know it's a hard pass, but he slips and and tries to grab grab it above his head, and Ferguson just scoops it up and disappears. And Gill kicks the goal very well from out wide, and mm-hmm. all the way out twenty eight twelve. You know Sterlow's the hull of had a crack, but you know they're not going to come back from here, mate. Different take on that one. Wasn't a hard pass, perfectly catchable. And this like bloke, fair income, slip. He did set. He did set belly flops, like face yeah. first, like he's diving off the board for no reason, with no one around him, and does this really comical head first <laughs> dive at the ball. Like you don't just selling the crap out of this. It was I've tried the that mental thing that I've ever seen. He's gone like I don't know, bag him. What are you doing, son? Like he's got this big fizzing long ball. It wasn't hard to catch. It was about it was about chin height. I, when I just, say hard, I mean it's fizzed, oh, like it's a fast ball. Yeah, yeah it's, but it's a not fast like. Ball, but, no, yeah. he sort of, with arms forward, like he's diving to belly flop into the pool, just flops forward through the air with no one around him, like like a Superman sort of dive forward and just basically clobbers into the deck. It's, you wouldn't it's have thought. It's quite stunning. It is, and it yeah. cost them the game in the end. And yeah, it's, um, absolutely. It's, 
I've just never, I mean, obviously it slipped. I mean, I don't criticise him too much. I've just never seen, it's like at the Jason Taylor squeezing the ball out in the prelim level of very, very unusual. Yeah, Yeah, I just, I just, I can't recall ever seeing that happen before. No. It's it's, falling like that in that way, forward, like running and they trip forward with their arms up and they're, you know, they're. (laughs) It's a a bad time for He didn't have much of a day, poor Al O'Hara. so the, no. Yeah, Chica Ferguson wouldn't have liked a Mark Chica. No, I don't think it would have been much good. Yeah. No, he. The great thing about this is that Ferguson is limping, and there's a lot of talk that he's about to be taken off because mm. he's in shit. <laughs> and he picks Looks up. All right. He just yeah. smokes everybody down the touchline. See you later. Uh, the goal from Gill is very good as well. Um, and after that, so th- there's half an hour to go at this point, and Hull basically start chucking it around. Um, there's a great, there's my favourite moment of the match. They show the coach of Hull, Arthur Bunting, on the sideline with the sunnies on in a suit, smoking a cigar. Yeah, it's quite good. Isn't it? This is, yeah, you know... not enough of that anymore. If you were going to try and sum up England, yeah, like if the, England in the 70s and 80s, there is something about his whole look. The, the aesthetic is just perfect. Yeah, it really yeah. is. I can't ever recall seeing that in Australia. No, no, at any era, the coach having a smoking a cigar. Yeah, mid game. Um, yeah, they got this funny thing about Wembley that, it, and it's it, they do this in league and they do it in in football as well. That if you play at Wembley, the coaches wear suits. So the both coaches, you'll notice, and all the staff are all in these tailored suits to go out to the game, which I assume there weren't. I assume there wasn't a lot of suit wearing ordinarily in the. English Rugby League Championship in the mid nineties. Um, yeah. So you don't see there's none of this none of this sort of uh, rubbish you see in Australia around that time of you know people in trousers with a polo shirt and a V neck pullover or any of this. It's you know people they well, put on their um, Sunday best. Do you reckon Tugger would have worn the suit if South had it go over there? I'm very confident that Tugger would have suited up. To get, oh yeah, yeah, he'd look good too. This is a, the trouble is in the in the era before Russell Crowe got them all fitted out with Armani. Um, yeah. yeah, better times. That's that's absolutely right. Uh, and then the, there's a the, the Hull just start chucking it around after this point. It gets very scrappy and it feels like it's probably all over. The last fifteen minutes are insane, totally, totally insane. To to say at twenty eight twelve with 15 minutes to go, that Hull would score three more tries and lose is unbelievable. Lose comfortably too. <laughs> yeah, lose by four. They didn't even get close. Yeah, yeah like they get close, um, but, you know, um, to score three more times. The first one, I really liked the locks in this game. I, I got a real fondness for ball-playing, passing, clever locks, mm. and both of them, um, the uh, potter for Wigan is, is neat and tidy and clever, and Steve Norton has a really good game for Hull. Doing I, I, yeah, I had him in my notes. I thought he was one of the best players in the ground. Yeah. Won, won the comp with Manly in 1976 uh, in yeah. the second row. Yeah, um, He had a very good game. He looked very yeah. clever. He's, he's fairly old at this point. He's about 34, mm. but um, yeah. <clears throat> just uses the ball really neatly and, and has a big role in their comeback. Uh, he slips a little short ball to Rose, the second rower, uh, with 15 to go, puts Lula Y over. Um, Crooks misses. That came out of nowhere, that try. Like, yeah. Like, fair dinkum. No signs that was coming, and you just went, "Oh, what's that?" It's just really weird. Yeah, like yeah. No, like they were they were dead and gone, and they scored this scything halfway try out of nowhere. It was really. Oh no! This is yeah. the yeah. This one's from close to the line. I think. We oh, might, sorry. We might be cross purposes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. And then then they get up there again. Yeah. 
and Muggleton, they're, they're on the line again, and Muggleton taps, he gets tackled and then gets up and taps, chucks it mm. to Sterlo. He puts, uh, puts Devorty, the substitute, on over on the edge. That's with six minutes to go. Yeah. So six minutes to go, it's 28-20. Uh, sorry, no, six minutes to go, it's 28-16. Yeah. Then they score again with six to go to go 28-20. And then probably the, after Kenny's try, probably the best try of the match, I think you'd have to say. Yeah, this is the one. Yeah. Yeah. So there are then four minutes to go. Kick downfield, uh, kick off. Second tackle after the kickoff, uh, the, the, uh, the 5'8", Fred Akui, jumps out and throws one of those lovely square passes to a man running at full pelt. Uh, and it's Lulaway again who just burns through the field, gets past the fullback and scores. Um, and Hull suddenly have gone bang, bang from 28-16. Suddenly it's 28-24, kick to come. And there are still three minutes to go in the game. Yeah. It, all of that it just it, none of them I didn't see any of them coming the last one there was no signs at all that one really took me aback because even though the comeback was on it just didn't look like anything was happening they just yeah. saw this halfway try bang fired out of a cannon yeah, yeah. It, it just it's so weird to me because we can just always felt like they were going to win and it I still feel like they were the better team and then the, the Hull scored so many tries I don't know how I can conflate my view of what Actually, you know, oh. with what I saw, with what the result, you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, yeah. How can I think Wigan was so superior when Hull scored that many tries? Well, they scored the same amount of tries. Scored five all. Yeah, that's what I five mean. tries each. Yeah, them, and they scored them like. But I felt like Wigan was so superior in that game. The I, only, I, it's the only me how the it only, ends up even. Yeah, like that. Well, like how they end up with five tries, and they don't burgle any of them either, right? Like the only lucky, no, kind of beautiful bouncing ball try is the one that Ferguson scores for Wigan. Um, the, all yeah, the, they're all, the only ones that had luck. Yeah, all the hull tries are nice play. They're kind of the mm. neat passing, hard running. You know, um, yeah, you're right. Like they end up doing the thing that you're supposed to do in rugby league just as well as Wigan, despite not ever looking as good. Mm. Um, but again, Schofield has two kicks. If <laughs> the, the proper kicker comes on with 10 to go. He looks good, by the way. He makes a half break after the Lulawai intercept with 10 to go, and he looks really quick. I just I just think yeah. that maybe if he had his time over, <laughs> dear old Arthur Bunting might have just, like, just, you know, thrown him on um, somewhere. Uh, but he misses the kick at 28-20, misses the kick again at 28-24. Even after everything, even after having the prop just shanking them for the first hour hour of the game, they still could have, they still could have sent it to a replay. Yeah. They don't. Um, they miss five goals, Gaz. They miss and lose by four points. There's never any feeling that they're going to kick any of them. No, to be honest, like they look too, It's it's hard. It's you know, I, I don't know what to say about it. They, it just it doesn't even have the feel of a shanking. Like some of the games we've watched here, where you get Taylor and Halligan do it, you feel like they shanked it or they choked it a bit. But these guys just look like they weren't that good at kicking goals. Yeah, <laughs> like, it doesn't look so. You, there wasn't any sense of surprise from anyone that they just kept missing him. You go, no, he's missed yeah. a goal. You get on with it. There was no, I, th- I guess it's just the way they commentate where it doesn't get built into your brain. Cause they didn't really talk about it much, no. but there wasn't this, Oh my God, he's having a horror day with the boot. Oh, he's blowing. Like there was no hype placed on that. It was just like, yep, you scored, you can kick the goal, you keep going and it going. And there was no real yeah. emphasis. On no, and there's not... When it's the key factor in the game. Yeah. It ends up being yeah, five goals. It's unbelievable. Um, Crooks, keep two in mind from that, five, that, Schofield, none from two. Yeah. 
we can hit a couple of nice ones too. Yeah, like they do. A couple of them aren't sitters, so they kick at least one from the Fairdinkham sideline. Um, Chicker's try, he brings the ball in quite a bit where yes. someone who wasn't as fast might have scored but wouldn't have brought it in. He got it about halfway rather than in the corner, and that makes a bit of a difference because he then goes on to kick it. So there's just a couple of things there that, that those sort of little half things that really change the game, even allowing for everything else. That yeah. little bit of pace from Chicka gets the ball closer to the post and this guy who only kicks from one side kicks it from, from the <laughs> sideline, you know, like, and whereas yeah, the yeah. other team doesn't. So you get these little like weird foibles in the game and little things that are just the total difference at the end of the day. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. It's um, the, the screech of the crowd at the end, particularly when Lulawai goes through the roar. And mm. then after that, the, the crowd just baying for the referee to blow the whistle and end the game. So the crowd all start whistling. Uh, the, the, the Wigan side of the crowd, that is. Um, the, the screech as, the kick, as, they, as Wigan kick off for the last two minutes. Mm. Um, the roar as Brett Kenny is announced two minutes before full time as the man of the match. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Announcing him with two minutes to go with a four-point game on. Like, yeah, but not only that. so funny. They, they, they voted 15 minutes earlier. <laughs> they vote after Good. after sixty five yeah. minutes of the game. Would yeah. have been good if Sturlow had scored the last two tries or something, and they win <laughs> or by put, two. Isn't put it? someone so, yeah. through off the last, and then yeah, yeah. forced it. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah, the um, I think we should just before we go through the end, you should explain uh, to our listeners the concept of injury time, which might escape a few people here. But I, I'm a little, a little bit. It's a little bit lost. Well, it's a little bit lost on me too. I mean, the, mm. I think what they. I'm not sure how they timed this game because they mentioned injury time. And I guess it must. They mustn't have. Um, they mustn't have done any. They were no, there was no time off, right? Mm. So I think what the, the referee then has the discretion to add time on for stoppages. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, that, that that plays all the way through. That this goes. I, I don't know when it changes in international football, but this at least was the rule in the '95 World Cup. Still. Yeah. Yeah. in the Rugby League World Cup of 95. So this stays for quite a while. So I don't know how they calculated it. I assumed you might know because you follow soccer. But um, they, they play for an unspecified amount of time after the bell until – well, the siren doesn't go off. But when you get to 80 minutes, they you are playing until the siren goes and you don't know whether it's going to go off in 10 seconds, 30 seconds, one minute, two minutes, yeah. three if minutes. it's anything like it is in soccer. I mean, in soccer, the referee has the discretion. If he blows the whistle, mm. there's no hooter in soccer, so he just blows the whistle yeah. when time's up. There is a it hooter. It can't be that because there's a yeah, siren. There's a siren. So, so it so must be someone Someone else. must calculate it. But, I mean, if it's anything like soccer, even now, injury time is completely mysterious. It's just it's, it's com- entirely discretionary. And, does that um, cause problems? Oh, absolutely it does. Like, imagine if Hull score in three more tackles if they don't blow it and then Hull score in a minute's time. Well, it happens all the time. Do people dispute this a lot? What happens? Yeah, absolutely. If if someone scores in injury time, inevitably one side thinks there was too much injury time played. Yeah. Um, It happens. It's It's a very strange thing to do. And they've never tried to fix it. There's no... They've never Why? done anything about it. I don't know. It's just part of the game. sport's so regimented now. Like, you're so... Like, you've got video refs to, like, literally put a ruler on offsides and all yeah, this yeah. like you're so like clear cut black and white on everything it seems weird to have this random thing after the time but but I, I guess when we go to go through what happens here the relevance of that is that we get to the 80th minute and the the, the games keeps going but you don't know how long for so yeah. you've got the ball after the 80th minute you can't end the game by kicking it out or being tackled you've just got to play until a siren goes off and you and don't hope know for the best 
Yep. Yeah. And you don't know if it's one play, two play, three play. So let's say, and we'll talk through what happens, but you make a line break. You don't know whether you're going to get tackled and that's the game or whether you had two minutes. So you can't really set up yeah. for a try, but you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket in case you've got time left. It's very, very complicated to work yeah. out how you would play that and what you should do. It is. And this was the case of you, you know, even in country football, it was only, you know, a lot of grounds even 10 years ago didn't have clocks. So you would have some, you'd have some bozo on the touchline yelling out, two minutes, boys, two minutes, you know, stuff like yeah. that. You didn't know and, and people in the crowd didn't know. So any play could be the last play. And then suddenly yeah. the hooter would go and everyone would go berserk. There's no, there's no countdown. You don't know where you stand. Um, we, we talked a bit earlier about the scrums. Sturlow kicks for territory with two minutes to go. Um, launches it downfield. The, the, on last tackle, he's about 40 out from his own line. He doesn't try to... Um, uh, he doesn't try to put something on. He just bangs it downfield. I wonder if he might have been going for touch to try and win the scrum. Because yeah, I think he probably was. Um, yeah. One thing I meant to mention earlier when you made the point that um, kicking it out was a contest for possession was one of the things I found really funny um, listening to this game was how much people clapped kicks that went out like all yeah, well, game. It was really for reason. Like you've given yeah. them reason. Like, but idiots in this country it. still do that. I just want to note that idiot, yeah. idiots who go to football in Australia now. Some there'll be a kick that goes in a touch, and people clap like it's some great tactical masterstroke. Fifteen minutes into a game to find touch, ten meters out, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a handover. Well, if you kicked it to the fullback and tackled him ten meters out, what would the difference be? Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, I, yeah, yeah right. it's just force of habit. They still do this. Oh, great kick! Yeah. Great kick! Like no. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't anyway. mean you're right. It doesn't mean anything. But in fact, the scrum now you can set. In, in fact, it's even worse now in the NRL because you can move where you set the scrum. So, yeah. like, so there's some the corner, you get to, yeah, you pin them there. But yeah, it, it, I found it really. I get the reasoning, but it was just so funny to me to hear this really raucous cheering for like someone's on halfway and kicks it out the 25, and ah, the whole crowd's up on their feet, yeah. whooping it up. And you're like, What's going on here? That's just just booted it. But and you're the, right. That's still, like he did go for that, and they, the fullback keeps it in. But I reckon you're exactly right. I reckon he thought. They were winning the scrums pretty convincingly. And if they, that goes out, they get a scrum sort of 10, 20 out yeah. with not long to go. Having scored twice in two minutes just a minute ago, like Wigan are falling off tackles left, right and centre. Yeah, it doesn't work though. And then Kenny, Wigan get the ball back and Kenny grubbers down the short side. The ball takes the biggest. I don't think I've ever seen a ball bounce as high no. as this one does. Like it's like off a trampoline, off about the 15th bounce. It's a grubber and then it just springs over the head. Of the wing and uh, of the hull winger, bounces into touch, and Who nearly uh, does a mad carriage. Like this was not yeah, a real yeah, carriage yeah. moment because he has half a crack at yep. it. Yeah. He wants to stop, and he does a full Toyota leap, like absolutely up as high as he can get the fingers in the air. Yeah. And I'm looking at that going, he's going to like. He was such a huge chance of getting the big brush off the fingers, yeah. jumping at full stretch to keep this ball in. And I know it's a contested scrum, but like. It bounced so high, he wasn't going to ever get... All he was ever going to do was touch it. It was going to be a real Kenny Dow, Thurgo, carriage sort of just... Really yeah, Brett, was it, was it yeah. Nigel Roy last week who did that in the we, we, in the game yeah, we did last yeah. week? Yeah. Um, but then the scrum, they lose the scrum. Sterlow, the, the ball comes spewing out. And I think mm. Sterlow either knocks it on or they call it back. Anyway, we can end up with the scrum. They play a couple of tackles and then turn it over. They've just got to hold the ball and they mm. turn it over. Um, and Hull hoik it out wide and nobody knows how long there is. To no go. one knows if this is it or not. Yeah. This is it. The, the Wigan fans are howling for the whistle. All of them are whistling. The Hull fans are howling to do something. 
because they're four points behind with X amount of seconds to go. They swing it out wide, and for just half a moment, Evans, the centre, Steve Evans is away down the touchline. Probably makes 30 metres, I reckon. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Gets into opens, but he beats a couple, gets to halfway. Yeah. Uh, keep in mind, that that's the, the con- like, I don't know the result. Yeah. So I'm watching this not knowing whether they're going to get him or not. And they spread it. And I go, oh, nah. Nah, nah, nah. They've got him here. And then he, they look like they've got him covered. And he just beats the first two in a situation where he shouldn't. You know that? Yeah. Like, they've got him covered. And he went, and I've got, oh, shit. Now he's beaten those two. And now yeah. he's half a chance. Like, it's this sense yeah. that he just did enough to beat the two guys. So I go from, nah. And I go, oh, he's on. He's on. He's on. And then they just get him. And he's, ha- he's only on halfway, but he only needs to beat this last guy and he's he, home. Like, he beats him. And then it's yep. one-on-one with the fullback with the whole yeah. 50 metres to go. And you've, that's it. he's probably favourite. Yeah. It's yeah, unbelievable. I think he beats this tackle, that's it. He's beaten two he probably could, shouldn't have beat. And yeah. he's only got to beat this one. And he's a straight out 50 metre shootout to score. And I'm going, oh, come on, come on. No, it's, uh, and then it's, it's, it was so, that part was really cool to watch because I just didn't know. And yeah. it was obviously a classic game either, either way. And I just was really on my feet for that going, no, he won't. No, he won't. Oh, no, oh, he's going to oh, do it. He's going to oh, yeah. do it. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. You know, I, I wasn't even going for them. I'm sort of, neutral but it was so exciting i wanted to see yeah. him in the clear and, and and go wow what a finish and then as he tries to play the ball as he tries to play the ball the, the siren goes so he's rushingly trying to play it and then he's arguing that he played it in time which he didn't but yeah it's that whole thing because they're still on halfway with no defense behind so even That's if it. they have one after more all that, if they have one more play they can zing it again and there's you know six defenders on side or something so you, you might be a show um, people talk it, oh, about a moment people say oh if they'd had five more minutes never mind five more minutes if they had had two more tackles they're every chance of nicking it yeah yeah See what if they had either of the wingers from the other team they might oh, yeah. score on that play i reckon i reckon Absolutely. it was done if they had chicker or the other bloke he would have scored that try yeah might just that extra bit yard Bill, mm. yeah 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 um and that's it, 28-24. Uh, the scenes at the end of the game, I want to spend just a couple of moments on because the spectators, this is, uh, the spectators just come charging onto the ground um, and, and start, you know, there's Hull supporters consoling the Hull players. There's Wigan supporters chairing the Wigan players. Like, it just becomes this complete imbroglio. Um, the, the players ascend the, the, the joy of the support. I'm sorry, I just, Brett Kenny talks a bit about uh, the celebrations back in Wigan when they got there. He says, we got back to Central Park, the home ground, walked down onto the balcony, and when you looked down at the ground, you couldn't see a blade of grass. They hadn't, they hadn't won a final for such a long time, and you could see the appreciation they had of the team. My parents were over at the time. I had to take them back to the airport on the day we got back to Wigan. We had to have a police escort to get out of the town because we couldn't get through. There were that many people around. It's wonderful. That's unbelievable. Yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. Um, it's, um, yeah. It's, that's what rugby league's about, those sorts of towns and those sorts of people. It's like any part of the world or whatever, wherever you play it. That's always been to me what it's about. So I think it's wonderful. I really do. It's yeah. a, like those sorts of stories and those sorts of people and how much it means to a, to a town or a community in an area. And, um, you know, that's sort of my favourite memories of football when Newcastle was a lot like that. It was yeah. A lot, it was a sort of a working class town. It's not really like that anymore, but it, it was. And, and you had that community feel to it and everyone was so invested in the result of the team. And, yeah, and it this, meant a lot to the actual community. And 
you, I, I love hearing stuff like that. It's fantastic. It's always yeah. what I've loved about rugby league compared to other sports, to be honest with you, that a lot of them aren't like that and, and they miss that element. Sterlo is totally despondent at the edge of the, at the end of the game mm. and sits himself down on the ground like he's played 200 games for Hull. Like he, mm. th- there is no sense, that, <laughs> there's no sense that he's like dialing it in. He's no, no. he bought into that. Yeah. He, he talks about, he's talked quite a bit about, um, wanting to play, had this dream of playing at Wembley and, and winning at Wembley, you know, um, English football, I guess at that time had a bit more of a, had a real lure to Australians that, 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 that all those, the traditions of, of the English game and Wembley stadium and, and those old clubs like Wigan, and Wigan were founded in 1872 and Hull were founded in 1865. These clubs were founded before rugby league existed and founded the rugby league when they broke away to form the Northern union. Like the, Mm. There's, there's so much tradition bound up in them. That had a real players of that era seem to buy into that a little bit. Yeah, and you've got to remember they that when they, yeah, yeah. Well, it, we've dominated rugby league in Australia for such a long time here. But when people of Peter Sterling's age were children, the international game was still a legitimate contest. The English team um, was very competitive with the Australian yeah. team, and they won tests and one series and we'd go over there and they were, and you know what I mean it wasn't what it is now where we have waltzed over every country for, for quite a long time with a couple of exceptions of course um, yeah. mostly it's not been there so what you get is you get Sturlow in the 80s and Australia was pretty dominant by then but what you get is he's grown up in a time where England was a really big deal for the code and for the sport yeah. so that and it, there was the, a, it was a different type of test you know there's no you, yeah hmm. Um, well, it's just, I don't think it's any different to, can you imagine how someone who's maybe 15 years younger than us and really into cricket thinks about the West Indies compared to what we do? That's, you know? yeah, like that's a good example. Yeah. Because we, we're, as bad as they've become, they've, they've always, not that England's done that at all, but we, we've got, they, they hold this sort of place and reverence as important in the game because of, yep. and going there to watch Australia play would still be something very meaningful to me because you remember what they've done in their history and their importance. And if you weren't, around for that and didn't see that you probably lose it so guys yes. today probably don't view england and wigan and, and and you know all of that as as big a deal as someone who's sterlo would have grown up knowing yeah. all of that um he was also yeah. a big i'm pretty sure he's a pretty big um soccer fan too yeah so that might have played into i think he's a, i forget who he supports but he's mad about yeah. one of the big clubs so yeah again to play on that ground was probably something you know they they climb the stairs to to lift the cup they receive the cup from the earl of derby and for some reason, they're passing around a carton of orange juice. Good. Did you see Good. this? Yeah. yeah, I saw it briefly and I thought I was a misunderstanding. Something. No, no, I, don't know I, why. I, I, I think it's... Un- uncouth Australian not understanding this. No, I, I, I don't know what that's about. I, I don't know why yeah. they're passing orange juice. There's some great sponsors involved in this game. I'd like to see more OJ in the game, though. Absolutely. You? Yeah, yeah. Passing. There's, no, mm. there's no plonk out there. It's just orange juice. Was it juice. pulp? Was it pulp? <laughs> No pulp. I don't know. I'd love to know what the sugar... Do you reckon Brett Kenny was a pulp man? Oh, geez, there's a question. I reckon probably. I Probably. It wouldn't bother him. Yeah. Yeah. You can see that Mo sort of of full of pulp, couldn't you? No frills. I don't think he's the sort of of bloke that would need someone to take the pulp out of his juice for him. I think he'd take it it as it is. Yeah. I think that's a marker of a person, isn't it? The sort of people that ask, you know, would have someone take the pulp out of their juice for him. Exactly. Yeah. 
Mm. Um, there's some great sponsors around the ground. The British Parcel Service, John Bull <laughs> John, John Bull Beer Kits is very good. <laughs> parcel Service has got. Yeah, me. it's good. <laughs> uh, it's hard to sponsor. You just got to get some brand recognition out there. Yeah, with yeah, parcel yeah. Service. Um, the the, spon- oh. the comp is sponsored by Silk Cut, the 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 uh, cigarette mm. company. They sponsored the, the Challenge Cup until 2001. Uh, and really, yeah, they not yeah, changed yeah. the laws over there. No, not not yeah. In fact, here's something for you. I was reading about Silk Cut. They were they had the royal seal as an official royal product until 1999. Really? Yeah. And apparently, apparently Prince Charles finally got it knocked on the head. But they were, you know, like you know, the Queen kind of they they have certain products have this kind of royal seal yeah. attached to them. They get the kind of this weird endorsement that they have from the the monarchy. Yeah. The so silk just, cut. Does the, the Queen get on the lung busters? Do we I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Probably. Yeah, um, <laughs> I want to share a couple of things with you from uh, a couple of reflections on the game. Uh, uh, Sean Edwards says, "I think there was way too much made of Brett and Peter Sterling." <laughs> <laughs> it gets better. Cut this. I thought Mike Ford was the dominant half back on the day. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I thought he overplayed Peter Sterling, and you've got to remember Peter Sterling missed two tackles for two tries. <laughs> yeah, you missed one of them on Brett Kenny, though. <laughs> yeah. you know, yes, Peter Sterling. It, it goes on. I'm not, yes, Peter Sterling was an incredible player, and we all had unbelievable respect for him. But I think the dominant halfback that day was Mike Ford. <laughs> uh, yeah. Pass. That. Pass. Uh, and something from Brett Kenny about uh, Gary Schofield, who was left on the bench. Mm-hmm. Gary Schofield, he was a great player and a real thorn in the side of anyone who came across. Uh, he said he was the best British player he had played against, um, which is big Jesus. talk from someone who played on kangaroo tours. And um, Schofield ended up going to Balmain and was top try scorer in the New South Wales Rugby League in 1986, the year after this. Um, so there's a suggestion he was in probably, you know, good enough at this point to, to start. Playing in this yeah. match, yeah. Scored 28 tries in 45 games for the Tigers. Yeah, and was then... A lot of talks very highly of him. yeah. He ended up in the West Tigers Hall of Fame. Um, anyway, I just thought I would mention that. I, the, 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 the interesting thing at, after this game is that Wigan, well, I mentioned right at the top of the, the program that they were going through, they were starting to professionalise and get mm. some money in. The season after this, they signed Ellery Hanley. They start the next season with Ellery Hanley. They then won the league in 86, 87, mm. 90, and then 90, 92, 93, 94, 95, 96, and then won Super League in 98. And they won the Challenge Cup eight years in a row, from 1988 to 1995. Having not won anything for 20 years. Yeah. It's not surprising if they professionalised before some of the others, realistically. Well, well um, it's this thing. <laughs> yeah. And you see this in English soccer, for example, where Manchester United, for example, happened to be have a strong side and be doing very well when the Premier League started and money just pours in, you know, yeah. and suddenly they become kind of irrepressibly dominant for 10 years because they, they've got, a, they've stolen a march on all, all the other clubs, you know, and Wigan seem to have done the same thing in the, in the English rugby league. Hull by contrast, still haven't, haven't won the league since 1983 um, and finally won the challenge cup in 2016. They, they didn't win. They didn't win either for that whole time. 
The, um, yeah, with Wigan, they, they were so dominant that there's quite a school. I do a bit of reading of, of, of older rugby league stuff, and there's quite a school of thought at one point that they were the best team in the world yeah. in the late 80s, early 90s, and to the point that that's actually, believe it or not, like fully seriously one of the reasons that the World Sevens was invented. Uh-huh. Was to, like they invented it to get, like, and the timing of the year and all that stuff. All that stuff was basically brought out for Wigan to come out. Um, yeah, I think they wanted Wigan I- to come in. They beat Manly in the challenge, in the challenge, World Club Challenge in I think nineteen eighty yes. nineteen eighty eight after Manly had won the comp in eighty seven, um, and then beat Brisbane in the early nineties at Lang Park too. They came yeah. out and knocked them off. Yeah, the World Club Challenge is a hard one because inevitably someone's going to be disadvantaged by the time of year that it was played. Well, um, I think the I think the one against the Broncos was. So whose season was it in? I think it was in the middle of the Australian season. I think okay. it was. Yeah, I, I'm go. pretty sure I could be wrong about that. I'm going to look that up now while you're talking. But um, I've got a feeling that it was during the uh, during the Australian season because they played out here. They played at yeah, I think okay. at Lang Park or um, Ains and Stadium. I suppose it could cross over back then with the way the seasons were. It could have crossed over. Yeah. a bit better than it does. Um, you know, like it. There's, but yeah, it's they were. So Wigan, here you go. I, I got the like record. Learn, yeah. I was just going to say they they beat Manly in '87. Yep. They beat Penrith 21-4 in 91, and they beat Brisbane in 1994. Yeah, there you go. There, there was, I'd like to learn more about it because I haven't followed enough of it to come and talk definitively on it, but there really was quite a school of thought they were the best team in the world, and that really was a big mover in the sevens was the idea that if they're going to have it, they had to have Wigan out here. Yeah, um, that, that and, and Wigan against... was supposed to come and win. That was the point of, of having it at one point was, yeah, well, they'll get Wigan out and Wigan will, will win or, or do very well. I yeah. think they did win one. I might be wrong, but they did very well in it anyway. They, uh, they, that, that match against Brisbane was played in June, June 94. There you go. Yeah, knocked yeah. them off. Yeah. yeah, they must have been a wonderful side and they were terribly dominant in England for a long time. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, Hull have, have won one trophy, well, one of the two major trophies in all that time since. Um, so it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a, a, a pivot for the two, for the two clubs. Yeah. Yeah. No, I suppose um, Ellery Hanley wouldn't have hurt. Yeah, I'd say that would have helped off 55 tries. It's a fair, fair yeah. gleaming. <laughs> yeah, it's not <laughs> yeah. Gets, you, gets you going. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know about you. I loved watching this. I thought it was fantastic. I, I, I got a real interest in that. The, the, the earthiness of the, of the English game at that, at that time really appeals to me and the earnestness of the supporters and all of that. I, I, um, yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, it was totally different. It was enjoyable because it was a, a good contrast. And look, it's just one of those things. We both like rugby league. All the bloody tries were so good. You know? Yeah, and there are like, so many. Take the historical context out. Take all of it out there. Pretend you've never heard of Kenny and Sterling and all of it out of it. The fact is the bloody tries were fantastic. No matter who scored them or, or what competition it was in, it would be very difficult not to enjoy watching those tries with, with no context, no understanding, no whatever. That's sort of enough, isn't it? All the other stuff's gravy, you know, yeah, knowing who they absolutely. are and the careers they had and the, the fact that it's a big game and at a great stadium of the world and in front of 99,000. You could go watch that in the, in the park and have a great time watching those drives. Well, I mean, you think about all those games we've covered and grand finals and all this. Mm. How often do you get a final of anything where 10 tries are scored no. um, and half of them from, you know, halfway? Yeah, it, it's probably, I think, probably the best, 
you know, that in the 89 grand final, it had some similarities where there was just like, there was so many tries that could have been try of the year in the 89 grand final. And this was another one where yeah. you could have pegged four of these as the best try anyone scored all year. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you go, oh, geez, that's the best thing you're ever going to see. And they go, no, what about that one? And that one, well, and that one. And, yeah. I reckon you would have had a few to pick from, from Ellery's 55. There might've been a couple that were fairly good, <laughs> fairly good feeling. <laughs> might've been yeah, a good fair call. try of the year would have been a good contest that year. I reckon. Fair comment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, um, yeah, Ellery aside, I think these ones would have been on the short list. Yeah. I reckon. They probably um, had an Ellery list and a non-Ellery list. Which I think that's I, probably right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Gazzy, it's been a pleasure. I, I'm glad that we've watched this. I, I hope our, And I hope that our English, any, any listeners in the UK, uh, feel that we've done it justice. But if you've got additional insight, if there's something you know about this game that we don't, or you have something you want us to know, or you have something you want us to mention, uh, let us know on the Facebook page. Chuck a comment up and, uh, and tell us about it. And heaven help, if you were there, let us know if you were there and what the view was like and, and where you were sitting. Mm. Um, thanks as ever for joining us. Gaz, any final thoughts? No, enjoyed it. Can't wait to do it again. That's it. Oh, i tell you one thing. I'd, I'd love to hear, if we get some English comments in, I'd love to hear some other games from over there that we might want to yeah, know about. We'd love well. to do another one one day. We're fairly ignorant on the history of great games in, in English rugby league. And if someone has got this far in and enjoyed this one, we would love to hear from you from another couple of games we should do over there. Yep, that's absolutely right. Well, until next time, it's Morgan Campbell and Luke Garrity signing off from the Rugby League Cemetery. TR tried to do it, but all other stars careful of doing it. Hoops moving it to the wings. Ball to Akoi. Now he's got Steve Evans. Beats one man. He's beaten two men still going. Oh, and there's the Hooter. What a game.